Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see uh, a monster calls. And, well, actually, let's start the podcast with that since it's a kid movie. So this is what we're doing today. <laughs> if you're wondering who that voice is, that's Sam Ball. He's joined us for a couple episodes now. And uh, we watched Flight of the Navigator from 1986. So, stay with us. This is Movie Show Theater. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Good morning, Vietnam! I drink your milkshake. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Sorry, you just tough talk a dead body? Get busy living or get busy dying. Keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. That's goddamn right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. So this was the first time that I had watched this, and it had been at least five years for me. I, don't, I watch it rarely anymore, but I, shit, I still had a, a bit of it memorized. I was able to speak some of the lines. Yeah, I watched a lot of it. Uh, I watched it a lot uh, as a kid, though. Yeah, I was trying to... Um, think of what makes this movie hold up because in my mind as I'm watching this again it was like not necessarily lines that really pulled me back into that child mindset but certain visual cues like that uh, train track at night and the way that just that scene was lit when he's walking back specifically. Uh, So if if you've never seen this movie real quick it's kind of ahead of its time. It takes place in 1978, and uh, this boy is pretty classic uh, big brother, little brother relationship, and he goes in to find him. So he's in the woods, um, and he wakes up to our logic immediately, and he walks back, and the house that he was just at is an older couple that he doesn't recognize. Nobody knows who he is and what he's doing, and everything is revealed to us from his perspective. And we are just as clueless as he is. And so, uh, yeah, he finally tracks his parents down. They've aged quite a bit. The the old people call the police? I don't think anybody who hasn't seen this movie is going to know, is going to have any idea what this movie is about based yeah. on the shit that you've just said. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's, so, it's so incredibly all over the place. But so the, the childhood classic, there are certain cinematic tropes that Spielberg, I don't know if it's fair to say that he invented them. But he kind of perfected them as far as like empowering kids to make their own decisions and to solve their own problems and to not rely on their parents. I don't know. How, how would you define the criteria of what makes a what, kid's what, movie a kid's movie? Like, or know. what makes it a kid's movie or what makes it like important or timeless or something that can be revisited over time? Both, because sometimes it has these... Well, certainly. These elements, but it doesn't work. I mean, Tideland, for instance, is not a kid's movie, but follows a kid, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, the, there are there are differences, certainly. I think that it's how the subject matter is handled. One thing that would make it timeless would be stakes, you know? They don't, they, they don't take the stakes lightly, that they're the, the subject matter, whatever it is, is taken seriously. But it's approached by these kids as seriously as that, but, but through their frame of, of mind, you know, through that innocent frame of mind. I don't think that these kids should be as, should be so worldly, at least certainly not all of them. They should just shouldn't necessarily act as adults. They should 
act well using the tools at their disposal, you know, act as kids in an exaggerated sort of reality, but keep the kids grounded. And I think also, honestly, what, 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 what I feel would make a, a movie timeless, well, not timeless, but something that would be uh, a kid's movie that would be revisited over time as, as a person got older would be that it weren't timeless, that it were, you know, a, a part of its time period. Like you can definitely see that Flight of the Navigator was made in the 80s. Any kid who was introduced to that film when it came out, any kid of the 80s can watch that movie and ex- re-experience. You know, it's, just, it's the nostalgia aspect, I think, is a huge part of what makes a kid's movie revisitable, if that's a word. Yeah, a kid's movie, I guess, is a little bit vague because people like me and you who are raised on film, like, to me, The Shadow and Congo are... N- nostalgic for me in the sense that I watched them when I was kids, but that's neither here nor there because there's not even kids, kids kids in that movie. Yeah. But I think about those movies and I think of them fondly like, oh, I love Congo. I could watch it anytime. But our judgment is clouded by nostalgia, I think, a lot. And we didn't really question anything when we were kids. Whether we were watching a movie that we should have been watching or one that was inappropriate, we just... Obviously, blind faith, you believe everything you're told and everything you're shown. So I had asked Sam before we started recording, I was like, you know, the old the old man part in me is like, they don't make movies like this anymore. This is real practical effects. And, you know, just watching a movie that takes place in 1986, you know that it's a set piece and that it's really there. And whether it's subconscious or conscious, it uh, I think it puts you in that right frame of mind where you are able to accept, I mean, the whole idea of disbelief at its most primal state, you know. So does that say more about the film or does that say more about the person watching the movie? You know, like when we go back and, like, I was totally, uh, like, 13 for the last two hours watching that movie. And, like, the, the emotion was right and, like, it felt like a kid again. Like, I had the magic. So does that mean that I'm still able to recall that nostalgia or is the movie that powerful that it like transcends time i think that there are i think that the way the the movie was filmed allows for interesting imagery probably imagery that uh, a kid might not have been exposed to previously and that's what sticks with them Mm -hmm. also kids have a tendency to watch the same movie over and over and over picking up on new things as they go and that may for anybody who is interested in that film have caused some excitement every time they did notice something new and noticed the same thing over and over and over. So that could have something to do with it, too. It just, your nostalgia is, is layers of the same thing. Yeah. So can you think of one that has these criteria that it doesn't work? Like a movie that is from the 80s that, for all intents and purposes, is like, oh, what a nostalgic, what a nostalgic movie. And then you watch it now and you're like, wow, that's a piece of shit. What was I thinking as a kid? Um, maybe not something from the 80s, but that's how I feel about... I tried rewatching um Jingle All the Way once. That doesn't hold up. I don't mm-hmm. even know, to be honest with you, if I enjoyed that when it came out. I probably did. I'm sure, because it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Was... I, can't even, I can't remember a movie that I didn't like as a kid. Yeah, yeah, that... Um, I mean, maybe I wasn't a good, like, tester audience because everything that I watched I just thought was 
wonderful. Yeah, I think that any media that a, a child is attracted to is is th- that kid is going to want to be exposed to as much of it as possible and is going to be open to anything that it sees. I, I honestly, I can't think of anything like I would watch all my parents' movies, my movies that I had, you know, the, the kids' movies, and, and loved them all. Jungle Book, the live-action Jungle Book, for sure, from 1994. Love that movie. The one with... Um, Jason Scott. Yeah. Uh, Lee, yeah. And Lena Headey? Was it? Or was, yeah, that was Lena Headey. From Game of Thrones? Mm-hmm. Whoa. And, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen that. So. Yeah. There's another Disney movie called uh, Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. With oh, Gabrielle yes, Anwar. with the horse diving. Yeah. Was horse diving real? Yeah, hell yeah, that's a true story. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You know who else? I assumed Campbell it Scott's was when I was little. Too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Campbell Scott from uh, Rocketeer is in that. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm really surprised that he isn't still working. He is. He was in The Killing. Oh, I didn't see The Killing. Oh, he's great in that. Oh, you should see that. That's a show. Rocketeer's another one that I find, I think that just, is telling of the time that it came out and I don't think that really falls into the kid to the kid film well it was definitely made for kids I mean that the shadow I think the shadow was PG yeah, it might have been PG-13 but but you know there was there was a string of those movies those um, those old uh, radio show type movies that they were making that took place in the 20s and 30s there was uh, the shadow phantom rocketeer those are the three that I can think of off the top of my head so we can kind of jump around. I wanted to uh, talk some specifics about the some of the choices that were made in Flight of the Navigator. Mm-hmm. Me and Sam could get really, really geeky on this movie because, like, when he is kind of given some explanation by Max on why he was chosen, I couldn't remember any explanation that he's given. So I'm thinking, like, okay, with this whole alien kidnapping thing something must have gone wrong because david isn't aware that he's been chosen as the carrier for all these star maps and then max says something like you leaked and as a kid i was like it's 1986 that makes total sense i've accepted let's move on but um says i couldn't return you to when you when i first grabbed you because going back in time is too dangerous and you would have been eviscerated uh, and then he does it anyway. At the end, he takes him back, and it's the happiest ending that you could imagine. It'd be really awkward, though, to spend the rest of your life with the knowledge that you had that interstellar travel, you know? Well, I'm sure he can use it for monetary purposes. He probably doesn't have to go to college now. And anytime he wants to really make a, a bunch of money, he can go to NASA and be like, I got star maps, and I got a spaceship, so... That's true. Yeah. So you think he was still linked at the end? He was still kind of, uh, mentally linked with... Uh, Max. Oh yeah, because uh, you know when when Max is flying around the sky, and he says uh, he says that shit to him, and the kid can obviously hear him. Nobody else can hear him. He's psychically linked. Not only that, they downloaded this information into his brain. It was coming from his brain. You know, it wasn't being. He wasn't like a server where it was being transferred through him into the computers. It was legit him to there. Mm-hmm. That kid's got a lot. I would. I would love to see. <laughs> I'd like to know what happened to that kid when he grew up. Yeah, I would have been okay following his story even without the whole buddy road trip movie. I thought that that was a really interesting story. Just the idea of there's no antagonist in this movie. It would seem because even the adults who in these sort of movies are kind of the villains. 
just being an adult makes you a villain in a lot of in a lot of films. Either you're absent or you're going to be some sort of antagonist. Um, but even the people at NASA, like you can appreciate their reaction. Yeah. And they're, you know. They're obviously worried about the kid because they're freaking out when the spaceship is falling through the atmosphere and then they cheer when he's able to fly away. Like if they were just worried about getting that technology back, they'd be a bit miffed that, uh, that the kid was still alive and flying yeah. away. But they weren't. They were just like, cool. You know, NASA doesn't really know because, you know, in the beginning when they find the kid, when the police find this kid, and that, that's, that's fascinating, especially in how it's filmed. The boy goes back home, doesn't know, we, the viewer, don't know anything. That, you know, we don't know that anything's changed. It, it appears that he's walking back home after a moment of having fallen into a ravine and climbing out of it. Uh, goes inside, and there's that old couple living there. And from the point that he gets inside, uh, the director, it seems, has taken the choice to film these two older folks who are just as confused as he is and living in their home that he believes is still his. He, they're filmed in harsh, harsh lighting, harsh shadowing, and uh, from the angles that you would normally see a horror movie villain portrayed. And I think that that's probably... As close as you really get to, to anybody being villainous, and it's only in how it's shot. And that creates some really interesting, ominous senses on the viewer. It's, it's a mm. lot of fun. That movie does a lot to, to play with the viewer. Uh, in fact, in the very beginning of the movie, when you're watching what you believe, and that score by Alan Silvestri is awesome, right in the beginning, before you realize what you're looking at, you're seeing what appears to be a flying saucer flying through uh, this city. It was Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> as, as what you believe is this flying saucer is flying, floating through, a gigantic dog jumps up and takes a bite huge out of it. Huge dog. Grabs, yeah, huge dog from, from, what you, a building. from what you think this thing is. You know, yeah, it's a Frisbee. And they're, they're at a Frisbee competition, some dog Frisbee competition. They do that a couple times with... Um, you you think you know this is the point where the spaceship is going to come in and and uh, abduct the boy you know and you you made a very good point about that where there's uh, what what did you say about that when we well, were well the way the it? movies are marketed now whatever the genre there's a lot of criticism on trailers being too long or giving too much away or you know you can take one movie and market it to make it look like a romantic comedy you can market it to make it look like an action movie. That's right. What you, what you had said was that they had probably already given away. People going in knew that it had been eight years since this. You know, they knew all the all these things. They already knew the plot of the film going in, and so he kind of plays with that instead of pretending that people may not know mm-hmm. by letting you think that first this frisbee might be the alien spaceship that's gonna. Uh, get a you know uh, abduct the kid right in the beginning yeah, yeah, yeah. and then as they're walking back to their car from that that dog frisbee competition every it's so weird everyone on the grass at the competition apparently very popular yeah the entire city is there yeah i've never even heard of one of these things happening in real life regardless i'm sure they do in fort lauderdale uh everyone freezes as this huge ominous again shadow crosses the lawn uh, and they're freezing and they're freaked out. And uh, David, the main character, and his family are at their car. They see this shadow. They freak out and look up. And everyone 
sees what this thing is that's causing this shadow and is still frozen yeah. with some some semblance of fear and they and then the camera pans up and it's just a blimp crossing over but it yeah, yeah. it's got that real cool ominous thing. Yeah, it's weird too. It's one of the few times where it's incredibly inappropriate reaction. And then like we see them freaking out. We see that it's just a blimp and then we go back to the people who now also know that it's just a blimp and everybody still has the same reaction yeah like oh okay that's intentional i like that it's neat yeah it was really really cool some of the choices made in this film really surprised me as an adult you know like it gave you something to look it gave the adult something to look at too i guess so yeah because as a kid i didn't pick up on any of this it Mm -hmm. was really neat uh and then they did it one more time when he was going when his parents have told him because it's the fourth of july and he's got to go pick up his brother from his brother's friend's house and his uh uh, he's crossing those tracks, I believe you mentioned, on his way into the woods to cross to his friend's house. And as he's coming into the woods, you see like this huge white dome peek out from the trees. And it, again, because of the way it's filmed, looks very ominous. And it's revealed to just be a water tower. But even that water tower has this like scary... Mm-hmm. scary look to it. You know, It's really interesting how, how they did that. And then... What's the the coolest part, I think, is that you still get that feeling of the abduction occurring because of all these uh, false starts. Mm-hmm. So you get that feeling as the viewer. You get to experience it. But the the actual event is never, never seen in the movie, which yeah. I think is very cool. Yeah, they use all of these uh, visual and audio because the score kind of very, very dark. That scene that you're talking about where the old couple that he that lives in the house with that he thinks he lives in only half of their face is shown, and the placement of the cameras, like Sam said, is such that even if you're a 10-year-old and you've never seen a horror movie, uh, it's it's scary. It's terrifying. And the camera's down low where the kid's eye level would be, so you kind of see things as he would see them. And so even 30 years old, going back and watching this movie, um, there's even a scene where the doctor, Dr. Faraday, is addressing... The kid and looks directly at the camera, and Doctor Faraday is the NASA official, mm-hmm. yeah, the antagonist, if you will, who still gives of a shit. of yeah. sorts. Yeah. So uh, this guy who directed this movie, Randall, he directed yeah Randall Kleiser. Yeah, Randall Kleiser. He directed a few movies. He directed yes. Grease, and he directed this. Of course, he directed Red Riding Hood. As of recently, in well, 2006, mm-hmm. he's still working. That's my point. Right, yeah. He was supposed to do Muppets from Space, but they kicked him off that project for some reason. I, I wonder how he would have done it, because Muppets from Space is it's perfect in every way. It is. It really is. Yeah. I'm kind of... This movie was... Oh, he did Starsky and Hutch, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Big Top Pee-wee, which did I do? will... Yes. Nice. He did, which um, a lot of people crap on. I really liked Big Top Pee-wee. I like them both. They're great. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen the new one. Oh, it's good. Yeah. It's good. I gotta see that. It is. It's it's good. It has the same like whimsical themes and attitudes that the uh, that the first one had. And the makeup job was really, really good too. Awesome. You know Joe Manganiello's in it? Yeah. And they're at Pee-Wee's house. And Pee-Wee's like, What'd you say your day was? And he's like, Joe, Manganiello, True Blood, Magic Mike, you never saw Magic Mike. And Pee-wee goes, you'd think so, but no. I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's great. That's, that's good. That's like that joke that he does, uh, I think, in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, 
where uh, he gets he gets hit over the, over the head or something, or he gets it in that bike accident, and they ask him they ask him what his name is. He's like, I don't remember. What uh, and they ask him what well, what's the year? And he's like, I don't remember. And they're like, well, what do you remember? And he's like, I remember the Alamo. <laughs> great, yeah. <laughs> It's great. Like, ah, oh, the Pee Wee Herman jokes are amazing. I love those jokes. They're so much fun. Yeah, they don't appeal to everybody, but uh, they have a very specific demographic. Especially now, too. I don't think they're trying to pick up any new viewers with a Pee Wee reboot. Oh, no. I don't think that they need to. No. Well, you never know. I, I would imagine... There was a Broadway show, though. There was. And that did very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's also... A new Pee Wee show, is that coming to Netflix? Um, the one by Judd Apatow, yes. Oh, really? Yes, he's producing it. Nice. Yes, yes. Um, I don't know. Kind of like what they did with the Muppets. I haven't really, yeah, I, I haven't really followed up with that, but, um... Well, I definitely want to see the movie. I say, I say good for him. I mean, yeah. so we jerked off in a porn theater. Well, we I don't mean, have to, we don't have to... It's... Talk about that. But, but I, but I think we should. Oh, I think we should. Oh. I mean, because who reported it? Weren't they also in the porn theater? Yeah. And but it's Pee Wee Harmon, so it makes news, you know. Yeah, I guess. I, he should have just stayed home. <laughs> um, okay, another movie that I feel like uh, fits this criteria is Josh and Sam. Do you remember Josh and Sam? Yeah, it was directed by, written and directed by Jake Gyllenhaal's parents. And Maggie Gyllenhaal's parents. They colluded the the two Jake Gyllenhaal's parents and Maggie's parents. Yep, the two wow. the two sets of parents colluded. That's amazing. Yeah. What a result that was. <laughs> but that was a, that was actually. I guess I I can't evaluate that because it's been too long. It's not a great movie. Uh, it, what really sucks is that that's the story that the kid Josh uses to lie to his brother about is a kick. <laughs> it's a pretty sweet story. Tells him he's uh, fighting a secret battle in Africa and he's actually a cyborg meant mm-hmm. to kill. But the movie itself sucked. Yeah. yeah. It's like my third favorite Bo Bridges movie. That's Bo Bridges in that? Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, and Christian Slater. No, that's The Wizard. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, there was nobody in Josh and Sam. No. That's for a different show, I think. Yeah, that's for a different show. <laughs> yeah. So, I think that I'm kind of torn because there's interesting decisions that I... I noticed about the way that the story uh, develops, but I also know that it was mostly designed for younger kids, so I'm going to try not to overthink the plot, you know? This plot actually allows you to overthink it. Like, it it gives you some opportunity to do that. Like, I think that while we were watching it, um, Max, the, the, the drone, the actual spaceship, the spaceship's personality, uh, tells, tells David about, uh, a type of food that some of these these creatures are going to eat at some point, and uh, I forget what he calls it. But David's like, "What is that?" And he's like, uh, "It's kind of like a hippo, but with feathers." And I thought that was interesting because <laughs> yeah. you can you can really read into that. Like, uh, first of all, it was it's it's very present because we just found that that uh, dinosaur leg that's trapped in amber that had feathers mm-hmm. still on it and still actually dino DNA, which is cool. Dino but uh, DNA, <laughs> yeah. But that, that's that's interesting because hippos have that same leathery skin that you know you think about when you think about dinosaurs, and uh, to say that it was one of those with feathers, and that these things are going to eat something that that he mentions has that that those characteristics and is not of this world means that evolution is a uh, is a trait of of animals across 
the universe. And if that's the case, then we all react to the sun in the same way because skin develops as protection against the UV rays, which means that for some reason we always start off as dinosaurs. All right, now, well, I mean... I'm I'm, always, I've always thought that. Yeah, but I'm yeah. reading... So I'm reading into that, and what... And that means but that life can. starts in water. Yeah, exactly. So, like, the, the, you can totally read into this movie. It, that's what's so cool about it. It's so dense with story mm-hmm. that uh, there's so it's so much that you can take from it. And, and really, like, if you like to think about movies, it's a good one to, to, to spend your time thinking about. Yeah, it, it seemed like when they were trying to hide from the Nath fellas and they hide in the ocean, there's a very definable moment uh, right before they leave where Max, the alien's personality, he reverts to a nine-year-old as far as what they kind of like start playing with each other and they have a little camaraderie and they start calling each other names. And I wonder if he decided to use that sentiment to like better communicate with him because up until that point, he was still kind of scared of the alien. He didn't really, they didn't have a very much of a rapport. And then all of a sudden... Uh, the alien kind of takes on the form of his little brother and then they kind of have this like back and forth and then that's when it turns into this like buddy road trip movie which I thought was kind of kind of fun yeah 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 I think that the personality had something to do with uh, Max's like because he got the star maps wiped from himself when he got when he crashed and I think that downloading some of David had something to do with him either trying to get them back and failing or him needing something to to be able to communicate with better. Yeah, because he starts calling David names that only his brother called him. Right. But okay. I didn't take that to mean that he had been, like, searching his brain for information. I think it's just information that leaked over, you know? Right, right, right. Like, it didn't seem very um, dark for him to do that. I don't know. I'm not sure how clear it is made in the, in the film's plot, at least not in the version that we watched. But yeah, it's uh, that's that's another thing too. Is a lot of these kids' movies don't have tidy reasons, you know, tidy tidy uh, cause and effect, mm-hmm. which is also it creates confusion in a kid. But I think that can help. I think that that helps a kid like uh, kind of reason him or herself around these things and can create some, you know, the potential for creativity mm-hmm. when watching a movie. You know, they they build their own story from it. Yeah, even in 1986, it was kind of before the era of film from book adaptation. And now it's very hard to find a big studio movie that is not, that's like an original screenplay. It's so rare. I can't even remember the last movie that I saw that wasn't based on some, you know, not necessarily a novel, but some sort of source material. And uh, Flight of the Navigator was definitely, and, you know, a whole, on whole decades and decades of movies that was a totally original concept that was just one guy's weird idea that they uh that they went with it didn't have to like pass the committee it didn't have to um you know be rewritten by mm-hmm. numerous writers and right well i think a part of that was probably because it was from an independent it was an independent film and then disney picked it up i wonder how how many how many of these movies get made anymore these um totally original ideas I don't know. I mean, even the kids' movies, and I'm not, I'm not a very good uh, advocate for the kids' movies because I don't, I don't keep up with them. Even when I watch a movie designed for children, it's at least 10 years old. 
Yeah. So I don't I don't know. Little Monster Calls, I hear great things about and I can't wait to see. Yeah. yeah. Little Monsters is another one. <laughs> Little Monsters is, yeah. That was a fantastic one. Yeah. Had real stakes too. Uh-huh. It was kind of like the kids version of Beetlejuice. Yeah, all I always thought movies. Howie and uh, Beetlejuice could have been friends. Oh, totally. Do you remember the monster's name? Maurice. Maurice, yeah. yes, yeah. with that fucking sleeveless denim jacket. Yeah. There's some sort of like fantasy element where there's a lot of there's a lot grounded in reality, um, but then it kind of takes a very far departure from there. We were talking about how the age that this kid was was so perfect. Uh, in Flight of the Navigator because he was at this age where he was interested in girls. He gives this little shit-eating grin to Sarah Jessica Parker that was hilarious that let everybody know, oh, yeah, he's into girls. Yeah. But he also still, you know, he's allowed to... Yeah, it's an innocent. Yeah, thing. yeah. He's yeah. he's allowed to cry on the stairwell when he can't find his parents because, I mean, I would do the same thing. So it's just uh, emotionally, he's it's at a very interesting age where... Probably helped the demographic because it yeah. appeals to so many. You know, that's another thing that movie does is uh, it doesn't spell things out for you. It, it lets you discover with 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 that kid. Like for instance, um, if the movie was made today, you'd probably see eight years later at some point. Mm-hmm. Instead, he gets reintroduced to his brother, who's now eight years older, and I think that that's really cool. Or the trailer would have would have uh, given too much away. <laughs> yeah. Which sometimes the trailer, even trailers now, people get really bent out of shape about them giving away too much. Yeah. But a lot of times I find that it's it's really just like act one information. It's stuff that you find out within 10 minutes of the movie. It's not well, really they, a spoiler. I don't know. They definitely show a, a shot from the big third act moment. True. But I think that that's, that's kind of been the case for a while. I'm not sure why. Uh, but trailers did used to be shit. Now it's like trailers themselves used to be terrible. Now it's kind of its own art form. Mm-hmm. And I can really appreciate a great trailer, even for a shitty movie. Like Batman v Superman had a great trailer. Awesome trailer. Mad Max Fury Road. Well, you just yeah, take, the Mad just, Max was just really take good. two minutes from anywhere in Mad Max Fury Road and throw it together and you've got yourself a hell of a trailer. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's My opinion's kind of changed because I uh, a couple of years back I thought that they were giving away too much and it kind of ruins the movie. And you're like, well, I don't have to go see that movie now. But it's obviously doing very well for studios and it's doing well for movies because it's only getting more so to that degree, you yeah. know. I mean, I would hate to see trailers get shitty again because i watch you know i'm a big fan of trailers like we we were watching trailers last night Mm -hmm. just having a ball you know uh limitations on art especially if you're going to treat a trailer like art which they seem to be doing especially for like the marvel trailers and the dc trailers and i guess really any epic summer blockbuster yeah well there's There's like four trailers there's there's a definite well first of all there's a formula to any kind of genre trailer which is getting annoying and kind of bland. I mean, they are effective. Trailers are fucking effective. What were you saying, though? Oh, ni- no, they were great in the 90s. Trailers were really good in the 90s. I yeah. think they really started being good. Maybe I think maybe... I guess it, it depends this- on what you what you call good. I, I like the surprise element, but I'm also a very impulsive person, so I'll, like, watch every Star Wars trailer that they offer, and then I'll, like, complain that they released too many Star Wars trailers, so that doesn't yeah. really count. But I think they really started trying with trailers once blockbusters became a thing. So maybe with Star Wars and Jaws, 
that's when you would start to see some noticeable change in trailers like you know these blockbusters look like a blockbuster Mm -hmm. and we'll build our trailers to look like that i remember seeing the trailer for castaway when he was on the plane and he's talking to his friend and his friend says we had a funeral for you and he said well what did you put in the coffin yeah that i thought crossed the line Right, because I think the whole point of the movie should have been: Will he does he or doesn't he? Yeah, and that was the the third act of the film. Yeah, that was like was, within the last twenty minutes. Yeah, was once he got off when he goes to Helen Hunt's house, who has all of the newspapers still out on the dining room table, even though she's now remarried. He's like, "Would it be okay if you left your wife and husband and we got back together?" <laughs> it's kind of like the implication I. Right, right. I don't know. That was one of those endings that's not happy, but appropriate and accurate. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We've taken a leap off of uh, Flight of the Navigator. We definitely have. That's okay, <laughs> because that's what we do. So I was also thinking about the music and how a lot of the musical cues that let you know how you're supposed to feel or like what part of the movie that you're in it reminded me of Stranger Things. I mean, a lot of this movie and these types of movie remind me of Stranger Things. I think that's why Stranger Things was such a warm, cozy thing for me, is because it hit all those same strings. And a Spielberg tribute at its core, but, I mean, even beyond that, it's, you know, more of a departure than that. They took a lot more liberties than just recreating that Spielberg vibe. Right. Because it was, like, genre-bending. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think it took place in 1980, didn't it? Yeah, 1980... Two, I think, because they were going to see Poltergeist at the theater. Okay, so yeah, yeah that was that eighty two or eighty one. It doesn't matter, but yeah, yeah, Stranger Things. It was like yeah, homage to <laughs> good all show. my favorite movies. Yeah, The Wizard was another good one. We're going to talk about The Explorers, and we decided not to. The Explorers is the movie with the three boys who make a homemade spaceship out of a tilt-a-whirl, and is done by the same director who gave us Gremlins and The Burbs, and uh, a whole host of other um, kind of fantasy-based-in-reality movies. Uh And uh, we decided not to do it because the last 20 minutes of the movie, in case this movie is just, like, very vague in your memory, he... They do travel to outer space. They land on this spaceship, and he meets this alien, one of the characters does, and the alien has basically uh, created this persona that's based off of like 50 years of pop culture um, in American television and just really goofy and really dorky. And I remember thinking that it was really dorky even when I was really little. Mm-hmm. But the 60 minutes leading up to that, I really liked. So I was willing to forgive it, I guess. Yeah, I just feel like if they cut off that part and threw in the end of 2001 it would have been much better yeah i would have rather had an ending that uh didn't make any sense at all (laughs) and like relatively followed the same pacing oh that movie made sense in the end 2001 oh yeah no that that one did i meant explorers oh yeah (laughs) explorers did oh my god it was so good for so much of it and completely took a shit at the end it was really, really awful. Yeah, they put a lot of effort into the physics and the um, explanation of, just from what I remember... Uh, well, just in the mystery and, and the fantastical elements, the the thriller 
aspects of it because they're being hunted, aren't mm-hmm. they? Yeah, these kids are being yeah, hunted. Yeah, some, some adult, some no-named adult finds out that they're up to no good. Yeah, and... there's, there's no payoff. Yeah. There's no, I think it, I think it's, it's a governmental entity. And doesn't one of the kids at the, on the spaceship want to stay on the spaceship? I don't know. He's Why like, there's no, to... there's no room for me on earth or something like that. Oh God, that's too bad. Cause that does not look like a fun environment. They should just, they should, uh, superimpose, they, someone give this movie to George Lucas and have him do whatever the fuck he wants to do to it. He'll probably CGI something else. I'm surprised there was no remake. Really, to either one of these two movies. I guess there was at one point with Flight of the Navigator. I think they might still be trying. I mean, it's, it's, that, that movie's got so much potential. So much. And it was really good. Uh, and the, there's so much potential for the ending in Explorers. But apparently you said, you said it was rushed, the ending. Yeah, I thought, I, I thought it seemed rushed. Oh, I thought you said that like, there was, uh, like that was something that actually... Is a documented occurrence. Yeah, in that's the, in the that's creative. what I read. Is yeah. that they ran out of time and they just kind of rushed the ending to him. <laughs> or to have the kids movie. in the tilt a whirl run into Max and David, like while cra- on Phalon. Or what if they let just, just crash into the Max's spaceship at some point? That would be good. Or they could all meet on Phalon. Is Phalon the one that's destroyed? Phalon, no, Phalon is where Max is from. Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. The little alien. I don't know where his home world is. Kids movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure they still exist. We should have found somebody that uh, had a kid or that has some exposure to kids' movies because it must be really interesting to watch a movie like this with a current nine-year-old or a current ten-year-old mm-hmm. and see if they get bored or see yeah. if it's like a generational gap. You know, when yeah. I lived in New Mexico and I worked at that recreation center, every Friday was movie night, and I had uh, thirteen. 10 and 11 year olds and everybody would rotate bringing a movie in and I got to bring a movie in and I brought in the explorers and I had all these kids watch it and of all of my kids everybody got bored except for these two little twin boys who were 11 and they just had like the best uh dazed completely blown away look on their faces the whole time just looking up at the screen and then everybody else just was Bored to tears. And how old were these? Thought it was other cheesy. Kids? They oh. were they were between ten and twelve. Oh really? Mm-hmm. So it's not an age thing. It's just a personality thing. Yeah, I guess so. I don't yeah. remember how old I was when. I mean, I know Explorers came out in like eighty four or eighty five, but I didn't see it right away. But there's also you know movies that we reminisce on as a kid, and then you go back and watch them now, and you're like, wow, that. Totally did not get that main plot of that movie, or either you didn't understand things, or mm-hmm. you interpret them completely differently. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think sometimes it's a mix between your own brain, your own level of imagination, and you know the actual context of the movie. Right. I agree. It's been a very um, research-filled uh, podcast. We got really deep with Flight of the Navigator. Well, rightly so. It's a good movie with a lot, a lot to it, a lot to think about, which is great. I think that I think that more kids' movies ought to give you something to think about. And I don't think that movies that are made for kids should shy away from uh, should shy away from stakes. I think that a lot of a lot of kids' movies don't really raise the stakes or don't take themselves seriously or or are made ironically or in some fashion less than what they used to be. You know, nobody has balls anymore. Goonies. They were being chased by a local mafia family with guns. Yeah, they were they were captured by like a mutant of some sort. You know, like an, a really screwed up looking dude. Yeah, 
I mean that that Goonies had stakes, dude. Yeah, it makes you makes you think, makes you feel. It doesn't spell everything out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's telling a story like any movie does. Um, I don't know. I there think used to be real danger. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a, a political correctness thing. Maybe parents, you know, maybe they want a very soft, very cushioned, padded environment, and they don't want movies that are gonna. Encourage that. kids to go out and reenact what they see. I don't know. I don't know about that. Parents don't decide what movies get made. That's why I'm really excited about a monster calls. It deals with real shit. It's just a kid dealing with real shit. Also a tree giant. Yeah. Uh, so very very dangerous shit. How about that? Yeah. Real kid, dangerous situation. I really liked uh, where the wild things are. I know yeah. that was obviously uh, Spike first a book, yeah. but. Um, I thought that did a pretty good job of being imaginative. But well, once again, I mean, everything is CG. Well, where, where the, the wild way, things are isn't totally I mean, CG. Yeah, the, I mean, yeah, I guess that's, that's true. There's some practical effects. But that was one of the fun things of going back and watching Flight of the Navigator and knowing, like, yep, that ship was there. And we can go visit yep, it. We can, yep. Oh, you can? Yeah, it's, it's, on, uh, it's on display. I think in Universal Studios, you can take a tour, and it's on that tour. Wow. Yeah. So what should we what should we do uh, what should we do next time, Sam? I was thinking about either like the the classic Chicago movies or maybe the most unsung Chicago movies. Since I just moved to Chicago, I mm-hmm. thought we could celebrate, or maybe um, I we don't can, know. We can do some some find some classic Chicago movies. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there aren't there aren't actually that many. Of older movies being filmed in Chicago now, Chicago's a freaking hub. You know, mm-hmm. the skyline is everywhere in in huge movies. The Wachowskis have their offices here. Sense Eight gets filmed right on my street where I live. It gets filmed uh, on Broadway. And um, what else? Oh, uh, there's Cine- Cinescope. Is that what it's called? I think it's yeah, called, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, something, something like that. Cine something. Cinespace. Cinescape. Cinespace, yeah. Cinespace. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. You were yeah. talking about it last night. That's really cool. Yeah, it's the biggest uh, film studio in the world. Even bigger than Pinewood? Uh, I said in the world. Pinewood is still wow. in the world. I, yeah, it's in Pilsen. Wow. Yeah, they bought up a bunch of Pilsen. That's cool. Built Cinespace. It's nice to find the movies that celebrate Chicago and not necessarily... Um, I think sometimes now they... Try to dress up Chicago. Obviously, they want to make it look like something else if, if their story doesn't take place in Chicago. Mm. But I rewatched uh, High Fidelity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. High Fidelity does a very good job of showing you Chicago. Well, uh, if you want to hear the rest of our episodes, obviously, you can do so at the soundcloud.com slash movie show theater. That's probably how you're listening to this. And if you want to give us a suggestion or even come on and record with us, you can do so at the Facebook uh, check out that there Facebook and uh, Movie Show Theater. We got a page, and you can comment, and you can uh, message me, and give us a suggestion. Or if we miss something that you think we should have covered, let us know. We take criticism pretty well. And thanks for coming on, Sam. Mm-hmm. It's thanks been for a, having me. It's been a pleasure. Mm. Mm. Yes. Until that time is now, I'm Jimmy, and I'm Sam. And this has been Movie Show Theater. Theater.